At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. and welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Conversations. Not Your Average Perspectives. Not Your Average Black Girls. Hey, Not Your Average Black, Not Your Average Black Girls. Not Your Average Black, Not Your Average Black Girls. I ain't even gonna ask you to join in no more. No, that's okay. (laughs) We just gonna let you have it. (laughs) Sucking the fun out of this. All right, y'all. So it is me, Dice. I am here with our regulars, which is, well, we ain't regular because we not your average black girls, but you know, the crew is here. So it's me, Jordan, and Megan. And today, Jordan is going to kick us off with our Not Your Average Black Girl shout out. All right, guys. So today's Not Your Average Black Girl shout out goes to Princess Mika Jofer of Zamunda. She is the first female ruler of the country since, well, ever. Um, but no, in all seriousness, even though if you have not seen Coming to America 2, you definitely should because she definitely played a landmark role for the country of Zamunda. I am going to just kind of zoom in and focus on the actor who portrayed her, who is one Kiki Lane. She is originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, and she is of 29 years of age. But um, yeah, so that's her. One of her best known roles is as the Nile in The Old Guard, um, which came out in 2020. Also as Tish Rivers in the drama If Bill Street Could Talk, which came out in 2018. And then she also played Bessie in Native Son, which came out in 2019. So I just wanted to give her a little shout out. If you have not seen Coming to America, um, Princess Mika Jofar definitely, definitely was um, making her own path for the country of Zamunda. And as a female in that um, fictional 
country, but also the actor Kiki Lane is definitely forging her own path here in the acting world. So I just wanted to shout her out. And yeah, that's our NYABG shout out for today. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't even realize that that was the same girl that was in The Old Guard. (laughs) And I definitely watched that movie. But I also didn't finish Coming to America too. So there's that. Um, Moving right along. (laughs) So today's topic is Africans versus African Americans. And we do have a special guest. So would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My name is Victor Tokumbo. Uh, I guess I'm Jordan's neighbor, (laughs) a North or a brother. (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad you guys got me on the show today. So uh, where are you from? Perspective. I'm from Nigeria. Uh, I grew up in uh, Lagos, by the coast of Nigeria. Uh, I've been in America since 20... 2007, oh, okay. uh, when I came to LSU for computer engineering, and I've been here since. So that's a little. Oh, wow. Well, I already learned something new because I <laughs> thought that was pronounced Lagos. <laughs> 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 so, you know, I'm just going, you know, we all got to educate ourselves. So now I know exactly how that's pronounced. Okay. <laughs> so we appreciate you being here and helping us out with this topic. So uh, to start, I don't want anybody to think that we're trying to like put down anybody um, for their you know ancestry or where they're from or anything like that. We really are just trying to get a better understanding of the disconnect that seems to exist between Africans and African-Americans. And primarily it's more so about Africans who immigrate to America and the disparity that occurs. Uh, so to start off, we're gonna talk about acting. So the first actor I want to talk about, her name is Cynthia Erivo. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I think so. And so she played Harriet Tubman in the Harriet Tubman movie that came out like a year or so ago. And people were really upset because she is African and she was playing an African-American role. And they were even more upset because, you know, people like to dig up old tweets and they found a tweet of her mocking a quote unquote ghetto American accent. So a petition came out around that time where people were trying to boycott the film unless she was replaced by an African-American actress. So I just wanted to hear y'all's thoughts on that. And if y'all felt like they were warranted in their feelings or if y'all felt like they were just doing too much. Um, I mean, I don't know, like you, y'all know how I kind of am about stuff like this. Like at the end of the day, um, you know, I think I was just happy to see they didn't put a white woman up there and like try to put her in blackface, right? Um, but at the, I mean, so I know that her tweets were like really offensive. Um, I didn't take an issue with her playing the role, but at the same time, I didn't know about those tweets until after everything was said and done because I really wasn't um, focused in on her. But I do think that, I, I think that the points are valid. Like, I think that the ultimate goal is what a lot of people are saying is, um you know you're making these movies about us right like about our history but then you don't let us play the role and I think that's what the ultimate issue is I know that what she said was offensive but I think that a lot of people probably weren't too up in arms like realistically about her calling somebody ghetto I think they were just like oh see look how she you know look how she views us and then you let her play that role that could have went to somebody else um that's just kind of where I am on it as, as far as pertaining to her 
So um, I kind of agree with Megan. Definitely when I hear this, it reminds me of the Daniel Kaluuya situation, right? Where people were upset that he was a Black Brit portraying um, an African-American or a historical figure in civil rights for African-Americans, obviously, in America. But also, too, I feel like this situation is a bit comparable. um, And I'm going to jump to, like, the YouTube Clubhouse community. But remember when they had the Jollof Rice challenge going on? So I don't know if you heard about this, um, but it was turning into kind of like a YouTube trend where YouTubers were going um, and they were purchasing Jollof. And so there was one YouTuber in particular, I forget her name. I think her name, well, actually, I think it was like Aaliyah J, actually. But um, she did the challenge and I don't remember what she was saying verbatim, but all I know is she offended the African like immigrant community. Um, and she did not like it. That is the part that was clear. She didn't like it. Are you talking about the fufu challenge? Oh, my bad. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, the fufu challenge. Okay. Um, but yeah, thank you. So it was the fufu challenge. I don't know why I thought it was Jollof, but okay. So anyway, um, yeah. So anyway, she offended the African community. And so I just remember getting on Clubhouse and Megan, I don't know, weren't you in that Clubhouse with me? But, um, I mean, African immigrants were, like, irate. And, I mean, these were African immigrants from, like, you know, all over the world because Clubhouse is a, you know, worldwide app. And people were, like, irate that she tried um, Fufu without being with a member from your community. And so I remember some people were saying, like, oh, she shouldn't have tried it. If she didn't go in there with an African, she had no business. Basically saying she had no business trying their food. Um, And... I didn't really know how to take that because I'm a lover of foods. I'm a lover of all different kinds of cultures. Like I want to taste and experience, um, you know, everything that's out there. And so I feel like there's a bit of an exclusivity with the African community when it comes to allowing African-Americans in. And here we are saying like, in terms of like the role of Harriet Tubman, how, you know, well, we just kind of err on the side of black, you know, like, yeah, we would have wanted a black person to tell us since it's about black history, but you know, we weren't like up in arms irate about it. And we weren't trying to like exclude Africans from being able to tell an African-American story. It just kind of feels like the relationship isn't necessarily reciprocated when it comes to something like trying African food. Um, I guess I, I mean, I heard about the old, you know, the actress thing, um, but I don't really know exactly her history. I mean, I know she's like, is she like African that, you know, has immigrated over here and been here since forever? Like, you know, she's now basically, you know, uh, like an African-American in the sense that she was raised here. Yeah. Do y'all know? if the actress that portrayed Harriet Tubman was born or well, not born, but raised here. I honestly think she might be British, um, but I'm checking now. So keep talking, Victor. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. I, I mean, on that sense, um, I, I guess I wouldn't get the whole opera about that. Like why they were, you know, felt some type of way about her portrayal. I mean, I understand you know, them feeling that way with the tweets that, you know, she had. Uh, but uh, if she didn't have those tweets, would they still feel the same way about the old situation or 
So to confirm, she is British. <laughs> um, and so I think even if they didn't have those tweets, they would have used the British thing against her, kind of like how they do with Daniel Kaluuya or whatever, um, like Jordan was saying. So I think they would have either way, they would have been like, no, she didn't deserve to play the role or whatever. Um, so that's, you know, a whole topic within itself. Well, let me uh, ask you this, Victor, because I watch a lot of like TV. <laughs> so I watch a lot of like Nollywood movies, a lot of Bollywood movies. And so I would love to know like your opinion on um, if a African-American, Black American actor were to play like a prominent role in like a big Nollywood film. And it was of a character that um, had a lot of significance for the history of, you know, Nigeria. How would you feel or how would, um, you know, do you think your Nigerian community would feel? Um, I guess if he, it would feel, I mean, off if he wasn't, you know, raised like in Nigeria or, you know, had like a, a Nigerian experience in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, would, I guess that's, that that goes back to the point of uh like you know the lady herself like i f- i felt like she would have asked you know she she's british so she she seemed like she had already she uh grew up in uh london and you know she's uh to uh, i guess for she's uh british and she's basically like you know a british actor she's not a nigerian actor basically yeah. that's how that's how they they've taken her. So the fact that they're saying that she, you know, she's African and portraying that role as a, as a historical black figure, I think. Yeah. That's kind of, that kind of throws me out. So I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's food for thought, you guys. (laughs) Like I said, you can easily stay on that topic all day because there's so many layers there as far as like what would bother some people, what would bother others, and whether you should focus more so on the talent of the actor or is it more about can they relate to the role? And so we've talked about this in past episodes. I strongly encourage you to go back through our episodes and find that one where we talk about acting and whether it's okay for people to play Um, roles that they cannot relate to. But I do think that unfortunately there, and we learned this recently from a clubhouse room that we had, uh, we hosted one and it was about acting and people playing roles they can't relate to. And basically we learned in that room that currently Hollywood is like fetishizing black people who are not American. So they are putting like these British black actors and actresses on a pedestal or whatever, um, because I guess they just look at Americans, just American black, we just regular black. Like (laughs) they just, they don't find us to be interesting enough, which is, is sad because, you know, it's basically like we're almost like they're treating race as like a product. Like, oh, this brand is better than the other, right? And so as a result, we're not being considered for roles because we don't have like that shiny story that, you know, some of these British actors that are Black may have. So it's definitely a problem in and of itself. Um, Okay, so moving on to the next part. So when I was researching for the topic, I came across an article and they were talking about how apparently Africans benefit more from affirmative action in America than African-Americans. And there was a study published, it was a while back, but still relevant, I guess, a study published in the American Journal of Education in 2007, and it found that immigrants or children of immigrants, while making up to 13% of the nation's Black 
people, 18 and 19 year olds, accounted for 41% of Blacks admitted to Ivy League schools. So basically what they're saying is, even though Black immigrants are a smaller percentage than Black Americans, they were making up almost half (laughs) of the Blacks admitted into Ivy League institutions. So I was just trying to understand (laughs) how that even happened. Because if there aren't that many, you know, African immigrants coming to America, how are they able to get such a strong presence in these Ivy League institutions versus, you know, the Black Americans that are already here? I mean, it goes back to what you were just saying about, like, what we learned about Hollywood and, you know, having a fetish with um, Black people that aren't quite from here. You know, this is just this is just history at the end of the day. This is what we've always dealt with. I mean, anytime there's something about black people, um, there's always some, someone behind it trying to dress it up and figure out how they can make it not seem quite as black. Right. And I'm not saying obviously, obviously Africans, you know, we we have the same melanin, like we're all black people. What I'm saying is there's a mindset behind it that somehow, okay, I look at you and I see that you're black, but you know, oh, you're from, oh, you're from Kenya. Oh, you're from Nigeria. Somehow that, you know, in a lot of people's minds that elevates you. Right. So like that doesn't, it doesn't surprise me to hear that because there's something for this country. There's something about hearing that a black person is not just plain old American, you know what I'm saying? Or not just plain old black, your mom and your daddy's black, you know, or what you mixed with. Like there's something I don't know what it is, but there's something with this country about like finding out that you are more than just black that intrigues them, you know, and it makes you seem um, better. And I mean, I I think at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Um, I'm sure there are just as many uh, immigrants, no matter where they're coming from, you know, a lot of them, you know, have, you know, your kind of your stereotypical, a lot of people have stereotypes like, oh, you know, African students have 4.0s. I know a lot of non-African students who have 4.0s. Like, you know, it's not about smarts. It's not about intelligence. It's not about, um, you know, your resume. I think that at the end of the day, when people look at your name on paper, you know, and they see that, oh, okay, you know, they're obviously from somewhere else. It's just a fantasy. It's like, okay, yeah, they're going to bring a lot to our institution versus, I don't know, Brittany Johnson, you know, good luck, girl. I ain't saying it's not going to happen, but if Brittany Johnson is up against you know, five other women who have um, names that clearly tie back to a little bit of a different culture and background. Um, you kind of got your work cut out for you. So I, I think that's what it boils down to is people just are not fascinated with Black people who identify, you know, as being from America and just being Black. That's just the sad truth. Yeah, I mean, I think that plays... Uh, a role some some aspects to it uh but i also think that um it's just one thing with um with with the mentality in in uh in a african household uh it's always education education like yo you gotta be you gotta be like you know be it a doctor or engineer like you've gotta go for this oh more prestige um education rather than you know just you know just trying to be like doing uh say some business or something they always want to go for like medical engineering like they so they i think 
the 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 parents kind of push this whole um, education agenda, and you know it comes in it, from there. You know they they have like you know trying to be the best at everything they're doing, and you know that I I feel like that gives them the edge sometimes in in the in their grades and all of that to be able to get into this Ivy League because like they you know their folks are pushing them into like going for prestige education. Uh, um, I guess um, they're, they're not more, they're not, uh, they're not giving the room to kind of like uh, um, go for, you know, things that just interest them per se, but more so go for, you know, things that is like something you can get out of the education. So I feel like, uh, um, African Americans are giving their, their their children are giving more of a breathing room to kind of go um, you know go for you know for sports or go for something like uh, music or, or or acting or something that kind of just brings them you know joy you know kind of their hobbies and stuff. But I feel like African children are not giving that kind of leeway to kind of go for those things. So you see them going for for uh, uh, medical stuff, engineering stuff, and that kind of gives them, you know, the the edge in getting into more Ivy League schools, you know. So um, I definitely, I see what Victor is saying. Um, and obviously, like, you know, I get what Megan and Dice were saying too. And so I think what we're experiencing or what we're seeing is like, um, in America, there is a stereotype of an African and an African-American, right? And so um, the stereotype is going to be, well, if you go with an African, they're going to be more educated. You know, they're going to be more of an expert in this field. Where if you go with an African-American, well, you really don't know what you're going to get from them. You know, um, their interests might pull them in a different direction any given day, or they may not put their all into it. You know, like they may not be the best worker for whatever reason. However, I feel like the true issue lies when you have two people who are both equally educated and equally qualified and you're going out for the same role. Those stereotypes play um, a part of like the, the preference and the selection process. So you aren't dealing with two candidates where one might decide to up and pursue ballet the next day or, you know, this would didn't go to the Ivy League school. You've got two people who come from Yale who have had, you know, long resumes and track records of working in, you know, this type of engineering and this type of engineering. You know, they've had the same internship, externships, and now they're both applying to my my business. But one's last name is Sukumbi and the other one's last name is Pittman. Um and I'm just throwing those names out because I know those names. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's where the, the issue lies, right, is what, what happens when, in that selection process where, and we're talking about, are, are we talking about white people or did I just make that up? I just assumed we were talking about the white people as a selection maker, but. I mean, they're, they usually are, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forgive me, guys. You know, I can take this to slavery real quick, so just pull me out if I start bringing up the white man unnecessarily, but. Um, yeah, so I think that's the issue. It's like, well, what happens then when you have two people and then, like, not to even go this far, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's like, 
and I'm at home. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if I can't get a job in my own country, then it's like, well, dang, you know, like it, it's hard out here. And affirmative action was originally created so that African-Americans can benefit from being black Africans in their own country. So I think that's where the conflict lies is you're benefiting from something that was designed in your country to benefit you, but you're benefiting from it in my country and it's now harming me. Um, and I was not the intended, you know, I, I was never your oppressor. <laughs> Affirmative action had, was not to to get back at me. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, maybe I digress just a little bit. But I, I do see, you know, like both both parts of the problem. Um, and I, I guess I'd be lying if I said it was shocking because it's not. But yeah. Yeah, no, I think everybody made like really valid points. And um, I I do know that it's not uncommon in the African household for them to push their kids to go for these more prestigious or seemingly prestigious <laughs> career fields. Um, I know I'm married now, but back in the back in the day, I dated an African guy and he was from Ghana. What was his name, Dice? Bye. Um, so he was from Ghana and, you know, it was really interesting dating him because like he had lived in America since he was maybe like 14 or 15, but there still was a lot of like cultural views that we just would have never, ever agreed on, which is a side note, but his family was definitely big on him, like becoming a doctor because his dad was a doctor. And, you know, I think like they had like some of that in their lineage or whatever. And so he would always tell me like how he didn't really want to be a doctor, <laughs> um, you know, but he felt so much pressure to be one. But I think now actually he, he, I think he's a, a pharmacist. I don't think he pursued that anymore so I guess he was able to like convince his parents that he didn't want to do it and they finally let it go but I do know that's definitely a thing being a pharmacist is still pretty I know right it is you know I don't want to be a doctor they pretty much accepted it because it was still in medicine (laughs) (laughs) that's probably what happened I ain't gonna lie if I was like oh okay as long as you ain't saying you want to be a DJ we're good (laughs) okay can I ask you a question I have a question for Victor so I watch a lot of documentaries um probably one of my favorite documentarians I think I made that word up but his name is Reggie Yates y'all go look him up he is gorgeous he is a black Brit and he is an amazing um, filmmaker. We were just talking about black Britons and she got me over here. Yeah, I'm going fetishizing like the white folks. I ain't fetishizing. I'm just saying the boy is good at what he does. Okay. So um, he had like a series on Netflix. He's had like two series on Netflix in reference to just his documentaries. And each one, he just, you know, does something different with it. I don't even remember. Oh, I think it was called like. I'm a lie. I want to call it Man Inside, but that's probably not it. That seems like a movie. But anyway, he did one on coronation. <laughs> yeah, the inside man is definitely a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he did one on coronation park in South Africa. And so um, during the midst of that, he talks about affirmative action. So he follows um, some of the impoverished white people who now live in Coronation Park. And if you all aren't familiar with what Coronation Park is, it once was a whites only park in South Africa. Um, But then after the apartheid came, it kind of turned into one of the only places where like um, lower class uh, white Africans could live right um and it's basically like the slums and so I don't know about y'all but I had never seen this on tv where white people were depicted with subtitles because you could not understand them like and I'll say like growing up I had never seen this like now thanks to like um swamp men and all that good stuff with the Louisiana accents I've seen it now but like for real 
that was my first time seeing like white people, like I said, depicted in poverty on TV. Um, you know, <laughs> it's not funny. I'm sorry, but I thought about something else. But like it, it, it was just really bad. And it I was jaw dropped. I had never seen this before, right? Um, and so anyway, he takes like, I don't know, the first part of the documentary, he's following like um an impoverished white man's journey through South Africa trying to get a job for his family. And this could be dramatized, but the white man talks about how he's not able to get any any job offers because of affirmative action. And so um Reggie, he follows like a couple of the white people who live in Coronation Park. And so some white people are okay with affirmative action. They're okay with the way that they're living, you know, because they realize that their ancestors did something that they should not have done. And they just kind of have to reap the, the, um, I won't say reap, but you know, like they have to bear the brunt of it. Whereas there are some other white people who are upset because they feel like that wasn't us. You know, that was my great, great, great grandmama. That had nothing to do with me. So it's very interesting um, for him to like follow the white people who are on the reverse end of affirmative action. But then he also follows like the really wealthy African man, right? Like the DJ, the celebrity DJ, or like the businessman. Like, I mean, he takes it up a notch and we go to the million dollar homes and it's like, dang, to see how the other side is living. Um, and so I took y'all on that long tangent to ask you a question that had nothing to do with those facts. And the question is, they talk about the black diamond. They talk about um, a black man being called the black diamond. And basically that's like the man you want to catch, you know, like that's the, the wealthy black man. Um, he's doing good, you know, in his life. He's got his own home, got his own business. And so I just want to know, is that real? Like, is that something that like little young African kids strive for? And like, you know, what? I'm gonna be a black diamond when I grow up, like, because they really like fantasized it in the documentary. And I was like, shoot, I need to find me a black diamond. You feel me? <laughs> so um, like how, what, what is the, um, I guess, rhetoric around that term? I will say this, that's the first time I'm hearing the the black diamond, to be okay. honest. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we do strive to, you know, to be successful in basically what we do. Uh, to, you know, be able to, you know, come over here, you know, go through your education, secure a really good job, you know, build something for yourself out here. Because, like, you know, you will come in from, you know, Africa. I mean, you're leaving your family. You're leaving a, 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 everybody that you basically known since since you've been growing up and you're starting a whole new life over here. So the idea is, you know, it's, it's not for, you know, it basically wasn't, you know, for... How do I put it? Uh, it basically wasn't, you know, all like I'm, I'm, I'm lost to what it was right now. Basically, it wasn't. How do you say it wasn't a uh, in vain? Basically, yeah, because like you know, you're 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 making new friends. You're you're meeting new people. You're starting the whole thing out here, and you know the whole idea is you're you came out here, you know, for for to create something for yourself or a better life in the sense, and you want to make sure that you get that better life. So that is you know that is the main goal. I mean, I feel like that's why a lot of Africans that come over here, you know, they they have this whole mindset that you know. The education is the first thing. That's what I'm here for. That's what I I need to put my mind into. That's what like every other thing is just like, you know, they look at it in uh, 
in like a it's way optional, that, but yeah. the education is mandatory. Yeah, that's the that's the goal. So you want to make sure you you get that right there. You know, everything can come afterwards. That's so. That's why sometimes you like you admit. Uh, I mean, now things have changed, but when I came over here, like you, it's a it's a lot of Africans that wearing that 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 came over to that wearing like you know partying and all that. They were like, bro. They got to get this, you know, get this, A, get this, get that, like, party was going to come afterwards. But, but yeah, so um, so I guess that's the mindset, to come over here and make something for yourself. And that comes with, you know, getting a good job, you know, securing, you know, uh, good education at the same time. So so I guess that's the mindset. All right. Then you could be a black diamond. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what what that was, but um, clearly something just for the film. But yeah, no, might have just I been made up. Eating um, it up. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna move on. <laughs> just gonna reel us in after that that tangent that Jordan took us on. Um, so the next topic is Eidos. So for those of you who don't know, this is trigger warning. <laughs> this is a very popular and very controversial topic in Clubhouse. Eidos stands for American descendant of slavery. So basically the term Eidos was created because some African Americans no longer wanted to identify as an African American and preferred the term Eidos. And so this change started with Antonio Moore, a lawyer in California, and Yvette Carnell, a former journalist and congressional aide. So these two individuals regularly make YouTube videos, and they're talking about how, you know, African-Americans have enslaved ancestors, and therefore they have a quote-unquote justice claim that Black immigrants do not. And so they were quoted as saying, we have been doing people of color politics, but if you want to talk about what people who have identified as African-Americans need and what we are owed, then we have to change that definition. So this all ties into the reparation disagreements. And um, nevertheless, you know, we as African-Americans tend to believe that we are owed reparations. At least some of us do. I can't speak for all black people in America, but yes, um, I think a good, a good majority of us believe that African-Americans do deserve reparations because history has shown that other races who were oppressed and ethnicities who were oppressed were able to get reparations from their oppressor. And African-Americans are basically the only ones that never did. So with all that being said, there's an argument going around on Clubhouse, and I'm sure elsewhere, that Africans who immigrated to America are saying they deserve the reparations as well. So I want to know, do you guys feel like these reparations should just go to anybody who's Black, <laughs> regardless of whether they were born and raised in America or not? Or should it just go to the natural-born African-Americans in America? Well, first and foremost, I don't know how they gonna get that list together of who came from here and who didn't. That's gonna be a hell of a process. So, I mean, I'm laughing because I'm like, y'all think this is about to be a 2021 project. Like, by the time they get through them names, our grandkids gonna be like, yeah, I got my reparations for the month. Like, this ain't coming no time soon. Just, I mean, that's just my opinion. But, I mean, on a serious note, it's like this for me. I noticed a long time ago that anytime like black people try to do something for black people, there's always somebody to derail it. It's why we started using like 
you know, over the summer, people, for whatever reason, finally realized, like, oh, they're killing Black people for no reason. You know, this was about a Black man. Somehow that turned into a narrative about people of color. We weren't talking about people of color. We are talking about Black people. Us. Us. We just keeping it to us. But I notice any time that, like, something like that happens, whether it be with a death, with a movie role, um, with whatever... Somehow people are like, well, what about this culture? What about that culture? Black people are the only people in this world who are called um, selfish or not inclusive or whatever when they just want to keep it to themselves. The Asian community, they are all about the Asian community. Okay? The Indian community, they're going to better themselves. They're going to hire their own. They're going to bring their family over. They're going to keep it in the community. But when black people do it, it's almost like, and, and I mean, I guess it's conditioning at the end of the day. Like, I feel like we've been conditioned, not me, um, but I feel like as a community, you know, we have been conditioned to think, oh, you know, I don't want to exclude anyone. Why not? We have been excluded for so long and it's like the problem is let me tell you what the problem is like i could talk about this for days but the problem is they see they see that as a black community we are finally starting to open our eyes and to realize what has been done to us and what we have contributed to this country um you know people say in a joking way all the time oh you know my ancestors built this land that's not a joke slaves built everything up like i'm from savannah i know all about slavery and and just anything you could think of with segregation like there's no story i haven't heard or you know no history lesson that i haven't been through at the end of the day and so it's like in terms of reparations i absolutely feel like you know my grandfather is 87 i absolutely feel like that money should go to people you know like him and his children and his grandchildren because we come from someone who actively fought for equality in this country for opportunities in this country i have nothing against um any immigrant you know whether they be from africa i, I quite frankly i don't care like i'm one of those people who believes like you know anyone should be able to come you know, to the land of the free, better yourself and get opportunities. But when it comes to like this money that we're talking about right now, no, that needs to be something that's just for people who have not only, you know, come from people who have had to just suffer immensely, but who are also in a lot of ways systematically um, still dealing with a lot of the backlash. Um, that's, I mean, that's just my take on it. I'm not, you know, I'm not extreme. Let me just say right now, I be on Clubhouse sometimes and some of them ADOS rooms be ridiculous. Okay, I'm not extreme. I'm not against anyone. I do, at the end of the day, a lot of people don't agree, but like, I feel like if you're, you know, if you're black, you're black. Like, I'm just here for everybody who's black, right? But when it comes to this money, no, I'm sorry. I feel like it needs to be separate because it's, then I guess my thing is like, say everybody gets it, right? Well, then what are we talking about? Like, are the reparations not supposed to be for slavery and et cetera, et cetera? Like, if anyone who has melanin in their skin is getting it, then what are we talking about? Like, that kind of defeats from the purpose of it all. Um, that's just my take on it. I mean, I have more to say, but, you know, I don't want to hog the mic. I, um, I yield my time, as they say on the club. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. 
With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So the question is... What was the question? Is it just if African Americans should get? Yeah, no. Or... The question was: Should like both Africans and African Americans oh, receive okay. reparations? Yeah. So those who are living in America. Got you. People of color in America. Um, no, well, not people of color, because that can be interpreted as oh, anybody that has any saying. sort of you know, there's it could be Asians. You could say it people can be of color. Hispanics. That's not what. Okay, I got you. When I think <laughs> black, I'm thinking, you know, black folks. But so just black yes. folks and Africans. That, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, in America. I don't okay. Think, yeah. In America, I, I see. I don't think. Um, no offense. I don't think Africans should get uh, reparations. That's just me. Um, and my thoughts are are pretty similar to everything that Megan just said. Only because I feel like it should go to the descendants of those whose families like, or, you know, um, ancestors were actually impacted by the slave trade um, in a negative impact. We're not talking about just any kind of impact, but a negative impact by the slave trade. Um, and I, I don't even understand why that has to be a question, to be quite frank. Maybe, you know, that response is a bit in tune with what Megan was saying, where it's like every time, you know, black people try to do something, it gets, you know, spread to be more inclusive and for us, we need to know that it's okay to be exclusive because you you have to look out for you. You know what I'm saying? Like we have to look out for us. And if we leave it up to somebody else to do it for us, it's never going to be with our best intentions at heart. It's always going to be with theirs. And so we'll always find ourselves on the short end of the stick like we have for all these centuries that we've been, you know, on this planet, but definitely in this country. So, um, yeah, like I think it should just go to African Americans, and I don't think that list will be hard to get together. Quite frankly, Megan, um, as far as like who. Well, let me just say this: when I say it's gonna be hard to get together, I don't mean that it. You know what I'm saying, Jordan? They're gonna take their time. Like there's yeah. not gonna it's... be no, there's not and gonna no... be no tomorrow thing. They're gonna take their time, and I'm I'm just trying to forewarn our listeners: like, please do not believe that this is something. Well, it's not going to be like them stimmies, no. And they'll probably do some shysty shit where they'll try, (laughs) you know, make everybody produce um, some type of 23andMe and you got to have at least, you know, in total 49% from America or something, you know what I'm saying, or Africa or like whatever Mm. region of Africa they feel like had the most slave trade action to America, not to Spain, but to America. Y'all know like white people going to stick stupid, my bad y'all, here I go bring up the white man, but y'all know they going to stick like stupid regulations and stipulations on it just to make it harder for us in order to get our money. 
Um, but I did, well, Victor, you can go if you have thoughts on this, but I did want to ask just for like confirmation purposes, wasn't it one of y'all telling me that like Jew, the Jewish community had received reparations in America? Japanese, the Japanese. Japanese. They get reparations right now today. today. And what's that for again? It went Pearl Harbor, huh? Girl, don't get me lying. It's something with California, but all I know yeah, is- Yeah, they were in like an oh, internment yeah. camp. Oh, internment. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Okay. In California. But I don't remember. I had listened to a podcast episode forever ago, so I don't remember the details. But you know, listeners, y'all can definitely put us up on game if y'all know what we talking about. Because <laughs> well, we don't remember Well, they kept that quiet. And not but like I know did. a lot of Japanese people, but dang, somebody yeah. could have said something. They did get reparations. But I would love to hear um, Victor's thoughts on this whole should be for <laughs> African-Americans or for Africans, the reparations in America. Yeah, I mean, I do understand uh, it being just for African-Americans. I but I I get the idea of Africans being here, giving giving them us because you know because for the basically they it wasn't like they uprooted the old family they took some families so you can have you know your your grandfather so basically say your great 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 grandfather was the one that you know got got sold to slavery, you know, your grand, your great, great, great grandmother wasn't sold. So she was just there. You were building your old, they're building your old family tree from just the people back there. So you don't know. So, you, so you're basically, af, so you're basically the family tree is broken up. So mm-hmm. you have slave, um, your, the people that were sold to slavery that are over here in, 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 in America that became, you know, um, black uh, African-Americans and all that. And you have these old people that didn't get sold also that, that are still back in Africa just being the, and they're only going to be Africans. So I, I understand, you know, so they are, were also affected by slavery though. But, you know, they're not yet being, they were not yet being, you know, slaves. So I have a, two questions. One, do, well, I mean, and you don't have to get personal, but do you know a lot of people from, um, you know, Lagos who have like close family relatives that are African-Americans, like that are like a product of what you're saying? Because I never thought about how, well, yeah, that could have happened. You know, yeah, like I never yeah, thought I mean, about I don't, before. I don't know anyone personally, but I mean, that is basically a possibility of happening. Like, yeah. They it wasn't like they took everybody that was your family, you know. They took you know some of them, and some of them just weren't taken, you know, and they back there just being Africans, while the others, the other side is you know over here being African American. So so I guess I do understand you know um, the old sentiment of giving Africans also, but I mean I'm I'm not. It's not something I'm about to be like, yeah, give Africans to, but I don't really, you know, care too much about, you know, getting, I don't feel like I would, I, well, I personally don't feel like I was affected, you know, and I don't feel like I deserve, you know, reparations for that. So, yeah. And so that was going to be my next statement. I think there's a different relationship there to the concept of slavery and to the history and um, the impairment that, or the condition that Megan was talking about earlier, that slavery really had on the African-American mental, right? Um, 
it, it's one of those things where you just had to be here. Now, now, I'm not saying you had to be in slavery, but you just had to grow up here and be a product of these environments, these um, systemically, you know, racially charged environments yeah. where you are constantly being oppressed. Everything you do is designed for you to fail. Everything you do here in this country is designed for you to fail. And so there is a different, and I'm saying whether they teach it, I'm sorry, I keep cutting myself off, but like whether they teach it for a paragraph in the elementary school textbooks or whether they give it, you know, two or three chapters, you still can't get away from the lesson, the day-to-day lesson that is being a product of a slave or being the product of an African-American family in America, like you learn these lessons daily. And so I kind of feel like for us to have that personal connection to what happened during slavery, you know, 400 and something odd years ago, as compared to whatever connection, you know, you're being taught in Africa, which I don't even know if they talk about, you know, like American slavery in Africa. Is that something that they talk about and teach you all in Uh, school? Not, not really. Yeah. So it's just, it's a different relationship there. Um, And I, I don't want to say commend, but, you know, like I do commend you for saying, you know, like, well, I personally don't think that I should benefit from reparations, these fictional reparations that should not be (laughs) fictional. But if they were to allocate those to us in America, I, you know, I can commend you for that. But, you know, on the other hand, there are potentially, you know, maybe some people or some, you know, African immigrants or, um, you know, people who were born in Africa, but maybe raised majority of their life in America, where those are still like gray, gray areas right there, but they will feel, you know, different, you know, they will feel like, well, I do feel like maybe I should, you know, benefit from this for, for whatever reason. So I guess it is a conversation, but um, nonetheless, like y'all said, it ain't happening right now. And even <laughs> if it were to happen, it wouldn't be quick. And I know before we got through, you know, arguing with each other over which one of us should have it, the white man would make it hard for any of us to have it. So it just is what it is. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that was really good. A really good conversation, real good dialogue there. Um, but I do want to play devil's advocate just a little bit and say like, even if they were to take it as far to say like, oh yeah, the Africans in Africa who migrate over here should get reparations. I'm gonna need for y'all to prove like that those family members did not sell people off um, I'm just keeping it real. Like, I'm just like, I'm not even trying to be offensive, but I'm like, we know that that's something that occurred. I'm not saying it occurred in every family over there, but we know that there were families that sold their own people to the white man at that time. And so it's like, I'm gonna need for y'all to prove that <laughs> they didn't just say, oh yeah, here's my little cousin. You can take him over there and y'all do whatever y'all want to do. You know, now I have heard the argument where they're like, well, they didn't know that they were going to be slaves when they sold them over there. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. It's really irrelevant because we all know how the story ends. Um, but nevertheless, that would be my main thing. And then secondly, I just wanted to say that when I was doing my research for this this episode, I did come across an article in an African girl from Africa. She has said that when she came to the U.S. for like college or whatever, she was like, she always felt really slighted by a lot of the Black Americans. And she was like, she never understood initially like why they were treating her differently or like kind of giving her the cold shoulder. Like she was like, they weren't really mean to her, but they didn't like interact with her like that. And so she said when she went back to Africa, she went to like like where the slave ports were and you know all that the whole transaction went down and she was like once I exposed myself to that then I started to understand why the 
black people in America would look at me a certain way. She was like, because that's a trauma that they had to go through an experience that I didn't or whatever. And so I was like, well, you know what you go, girl, I'm glad that you at least <laughs> drew some connections. Like, you know, cause she was just like, now I kind of get it. Like she didn't get it at all before. And now she's like, no, I can see why they would feel some sort of way or whatever. But anyways, that was a random side note. So we're going to move on. Good for so, her though. Can I say yes. something real quick, Dice, before you and move I have on? something to say too after. Um, Ain't no more for Jordan, but Megan, go ahead. I cut all y'all off. <laughs> but for real though, we'll end this with the quickness. Right? <laughs> It'd be like, dang, that episode ended abruptly. What happened? They fell out. Um, Maybe you'll get us on Shade Room. We got to try that one day. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just was going to say, you know, I've heard somebody say, um, I've heard a lot of times over the past couple of months, like people say stuff like, um, you know, I wish I could be complacent or like, um, I have, you know, African friends, like I've always been told, like, you know, yeah, why well, our parents just push us to do this, push us to do that. Like, you know, I've heard that so many times. Right. And I just wanted to say, like, I really want us to get away from this narrative, like just as black people in general, it doesn't matter whether you're like African-American, African, or, you know, if African-American offends you and you just want me to stay black, like whatever. I really want us to get away from this narrative that like, because you're born and raised in America, that somehow you're parents don't encourage you to go for like the gusto because I can't speak for everybody else but in my house um my mom made it very clear from the beginning you got to work twice as hard just to get half like just to get half not even to be on their level but just to be halfway there and so I, I mean I've always applied pressure so to speak and I just feel like I know so many people who have as well and I do feel like that's a part of the problem just like with this whole divide unfortunately that we're seeing right now is like there's there's a narrative that somehow like oh you know you don't have as much because you didn't work as hard because no one pushed you to work as hard I have never seen that even for people who you know are impoverished like they don't want their children to be like them they want them to have better and to do better um but sometimes opportunity even if you've put in the work is not presented to you and yeah. education yeah yeah I mean and sure, we got to do a whole different episode on education because y'all just don't even know, man. Um, but, you know, I really want us to get away from that, like, as a community. I don't say us as in, like, the four of us having this conversation, but, like, you know, just for, for people who listen, right, because we don't know what their views are. Like, I really want us to just strike that down, that, that narrative that, like, you know what, at the end of the day, I see what they're saying, but, you know, y'all just don't be working as hard. That's just not true. Um... And I heard somebody say this on Clubhouse, right? And I wanted to share this with y'all about the whole affirmative action thing. Um, for me, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I would be just as pleased if like, you know, there are these companies out there who have like, oh, you know, we've got to hire 5% like black people, right? And a lot of people have said like they found over the years that like that 5% will 100% encompass only African people. Like it won't be any African-Americans. And so here's where a lot of people go left because some people feel like, no, you need to fire all them African people and replace them with African-American people. I don't believe that. Keep them in there. At the end of the day, that's a black person. Keep them in there. What I do believe is, okay, if you took that 5% quota and you only met it with Africans, that means you to up it to 10% and then go out and get 5% of African-Americans. Like I just feel like there's room for both and, and there's room for everyone to flourish. But for me, like this whole movement is just about 
like raising awareness and, and raising the bar and saying like, you know, it's, it's time for us to stop being like pitted against each other or feeling like, you know, I have to um, beat this person who is from um, Nigeria or, or from Kenya or from wherever out for this job. No, we both should be able to get the job. But in order to do that, I feel like, you know, we do have to keep applying like kind of this pressure about getting equality because I think a lot of play and that goes back to the whole fetish thing that we talked about earlier but you know that's kind of like my thoughts just on the whole conversation like I feel like there's room for both but we have to acknowledge that like they think they're getting out of hiring us they think they're getting out of enrolling us in school because enough of us aren't speaking up and um it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know how we encourage white people to like speak up and stand with us on racist issues I encourage, you know, anyone um, who's African to kind of like, if you see these things happen, speak up. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my two cents. Thank you, Meg. Um, and so I'll step in. Right I now. said you couldn't speak. No, I don't care. <laughs> the producer always tells me that I can't speak. And she almost got lucky because I had forgot for a split second. But thank you, Megan, for giving me some time to bring it back to my remembrance, as the uh, old folks at church would say. So <laughs> all I wanted to say, I'm going to keep it real short, is um, I think, or I, I'll say this, I would like to see a more or more of a like, not merge, but just like inclusivity amongst the African-Americans and the African immigrant community in America. Meg highlighted it where she said, if you meet your, as a company, if they meet their 5% black quota, or if they meet their black quota with five um, African employees, then it's like, well, I want you to up it, make it 10, you know, and then go get you five African-Americans. But what I also want to see is okay, those first five black whatevers that get their foot in the door, you now have a duty to offer your privilege to more black people. Like use your discretion and open your privilege up to invite more in. And this is where we see the divide amongst the different types of black. You know, when you have your African-Americans, when you have, you know, your light-skinned blacks or when you have just your African immigrants, like that's when we start to deteriorate ourselves because we have so many things that we allow to keep us apart. And so um, I do, I, I would like to mend um, the friendship lines, you know, for the purposes of this conversation between African-Americans and, and African immigrants, because I want to learn more about African culture. Um, I, I do, y'all know, like one of my best friends is African. So anytime she invites me to something, y'all, I be like grinning like a Cheshire cat, because I just feel like I got this exclusive invitation, like the golden ticket to, you know, Willy Wonka or whatever. So um, I do... I do want like more black people to be like involved with, um, you know, African culture if possible and vice versa, because I know sometimes African immigrants feel like, you know, we could be rude towards them and not understanding of their culture. And that may be a part of the hesitation for them inviting us in. So um, that's, that's all I want to say. Okay. So speaking of that, I do want to get to the last point really quick. Uh <laughs> Because we kind of went off the rails here. Um, so it does tie into what Jordan was just talking about, about merging the cultures. I was just going to say that there was another issue, um, and I think it probably still is an issue. It's not as talked about as it was a couple of years ago. But there was a time, like maybe when, especially when Black Panther came out and, you know, the... African-Americans, you know, wanted to show their support. And so a lot of Black people were dressing up in, you know, this 
traditional African clothing and, and wearing it to the theater. Um, there was even some people who were, you know, wearing like a coming to America type costume and had like a fake, you know, stuff lying on their shoulder and stuff like that. And so I had found out that <laughs> a lot of Africans were very offended. Um, they thought that African-Americans were like making some sort of joke of it. Um, and, you know, they were just like not taking it seriously, not looking at these garments as cultural or religious garments, tribal garments. They were just looking at it as like a costume, basically. And so I just want to say for my, my personal opinion, I don't believe that that was anybody's intent. Um, I think that, you know, it kind of goes back to what Jordan said. We just don't have the knowledge. And so we think we're doing something to try to like get in touch with our roots, but we don't have the the knowledge or whatever, but nevertheless, my point is, I just wanted to see if Victor felt any sort of way about that whole African-Americans wearing like African or traditional African clothing. Uh, I mean, I remember during the old uh, Black Panther <laughs> I mean, I thought that was that's pretty cool. I felt like you know it kind of brought some sort of because like you know you always have this divide, but that kind of brought the communities together, you know, because they were so proud about about the old, you know, the old um, um, the way um, Africa was portrayed and everything, and they wanted to you know feel that kind of inclusion, and I felt like that was pretty good. What they were doing uh, in terms of you know Africans wearing um, traditional uh, um, traditional African wear uh, sorry African Americans wearing traditional African wear I mean I don't have a problem with that I mean if you basically you know do your research you know kind of know what you're wearing not just oh is African I'm wearing that you know kind of know you know what sort of African traditional wear you wearing because you know they're they're different um, African countries, you know, have their own, you know, different traditional wear. So, you know, just kind of get uh, some uh, information about what exactly you're wearing, not just, oh, I'm wearing it because, you know, it's African wear, you know. So you so, like Black Panther? Yeah, I liked it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I like all the Marvel movies, so I, I like Black Panther. Is that too. what you took from his, is that what you took from his opinion? That was your main point? Was it, was like, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> all that that he said. And that's I heard everything from. else. I heard everything else. <laughs> I'm going to reel us in before Jordan takes yeah, us out. I, I, I felt where, <laughs> where um, Michael B. Jordan was coming from in the movies. So I was like, yeah, I, I understand that. So. It was, it was, you it felt was, where he was coming from that happened to you? No, it didn't. It didn't happen to me. But like, I mean, I, I mean, I could feel, you know, his pain. Like, right, oh, he was a good that, actor, gotcha. yeah, yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move on. <laughs> Let's get to the not your average news. So I know this first point of news um, came from me. I I learned this this week, which was great. So the House passes George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. So the legislation overhauls qualified immunity for police officers, bans chokeholds at the federal level, prohibits no knock warrants in federal drug cases, and outlaws racial profiling. It would also establish a national registry of police misconduct to be managed by the Department of Justice. So 
pretty big deal, you guys. Hopefully they implement these things so we can stop, you know, watching our black brothers and sisters be killed out here in these streets unlawfully by police officers. I wonder if they're going to like implement any classes to um, deconstruct racial profiling and to help uh, white officers or officers that are not of the African-American race to overcome those implicit biases that they have. Like, I wonder how they're going to actually combat racial profiling or if they're just going to outlaw it, because then how in the hell are you going to prove it? You know what I'm saying? Like they've been getting around proving it all this time. So um, I am uh, interested in seeing what they actually do with that. But I'm excited about that qualified immunity one. I'm really excited about that. So we'll see. Step in the right direction. All right. Who had the next news point? Was this you, Meg? Yeah. um, I had a lot of news for y'all this time. So on the subject of racial profiling, um, national poet and phenomenon in my eyes, Amanda Gorman, we heard her speak at the inauguration, um, was recently racially profiled while trying to go home. She posted on her Instagram page that a security guard um, followed her and tailed her and told her that she looked suspicious and would not let up essentially until she showed him her keys and was able to let herself into the building. Um, She didn't receive an apology or anything. She just shared that with us to show that, you know, um, as I said, you know, she's a phenomenon, like people are in love with her and her voice and her story and how she came to be such a confident public speaker. It just goes to show that as a Black person, Black woman in this country, you can go from being, um, you know, held in such high regard to immediately, um, you know, harassed and essentially terrorized on the street just because of the color of your skin. So glad that um, she made it in her to her home safely. But, you know, unfortunate story at the end of the day. I was just going to say, I think it's the no apology for me. You know, it's one thing to make a mistake as honest as we can argue that it was, but you need to apologize. You know what I'm saying? He felt justified, so he yeah. didn't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not sorry is why she didn't get one. Um, but, all right, Um, and this is a bit of, a, on another, like, sad note, Um, Instagram sensation, Lyric Chanel, unfortunately recently passed away on March 5th after her long battle with brain cancer. She was only 13 years old. Um, many of you may know her just from her popular YouTube videos. I know that she was a huge um, Beyonce and Cardi B fan, and she just shared her story with her family on YouTube about navigating through her journey um, with battling cancer and still trying to like keep her spirits up. She was a lover of music. And so y'all just keep her family in your prayers. Um, and we will have the link um, to her family's GoFundMe in the description, because if you don't know, um, hospital bills are a very real thing whenever you know you have any type of terminal illness. So y'all be praying for them. Um. What else we got going on? All right. So on a little bit of a, it's a semi lighter note, y'all, but fun fact about me, I love me some royal family drama. Um, I don't know why I just do. So Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, the Duke and Duchess themselves are doing an exclusive interview with Oprah Winfrey. And I personally cannot wait. Um, we are recording this episode on Sunday, March 7th and the special comes out tonight at eight o'clock. So by the time y'all hear this, hopefully you have already watched it. Um, there's an ongoing investigation right now due to claims that she bullied the palace staff or something like that. Um, I don't really buy it. And then we did get to see a little bit of a preview clip. It was somewhat sad. Um, I feel for Prince Harry because he said that basically his biggest fear was like history repeating itself. If you don't know the history of his mother, um, the late princess diana and how she was treated go look it up um 
and then Megan just was saying like you know they can't really stay silent after all that's happened and um you know Oprah let us know it's gonna be spicy she said in the clip nothing is off limits so indulge in some royalty tonight at eight o'clock y'all because I know I will um do y'all watch Real Housewives of Atlanta y'all know what's going on with Strippergate no. I saw it when it happened like <laughs> real time. listen okay so <laughs> Real Housewives of Atlanta is heating up y'all it's getting real spicy um Kenya needs a storyline because her marriage failed. So all she got to talk about is this stripper gate situation. Basically, they had a bachelorette party and allegedly someone slept with the stripper. And it's getting spicy, y'all. So y'all keep up with that because, honey, between them watching it in real time and posting on Instagram and Twitter about each other and seeing the show, it is just, it's a lot. Um, Didn't he deny it, though? Hell, I don't know. I mean, I guess that doesn't mean anything, but I just remember when, like, it originally happened, um, he came out and he was just like, I didn't sleep with anybody. I didn't sleep with anybody. And I remember them, like, trying to figure out who the girl could have been. They had narrowed it down to two of them. Yeah, they said um, it was Portia and Tanya. They claimed it was a threesome. Um, but Tanya... As long as they're not one of the people getting married, so... Isn't that fine? Well, see, Tanya is engaged. It was not uh, her party, but Tanya is engaged. Portia is single, so I feel like, and I do feel like that's why Portia kind of had a carefree attitude. She's like, well, I'm single. I ain't got nothing to lose. <laughs> but uh, Tanya is engaged, and um, apparently that was the last time they saw her. Like, she has not filmed since that trip. Damn. So, oh, well, that is spicy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's getting real out here. Um, I'm I'm here for it. It's lame at the end of the day because it's like they covered up the cameras. The crew left, like they weren't filming, so it's lame to bring it up. But anywho, our producer um, Megan's telling you to. I know. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Y'all just don't know. Dice is like mean producer over here. <laughs> um, this is really positive. I don't know if y'all saw this or not. Natalia Bryant has officially started her modeling journey after joining the IMG modeling family last month. Um, she posted a few behind the scenes like pictures and videos on her story. Um, and we already know she's beautiful, but you know, she just looked really good and I'm excited for her. Hope that um modeling is something that, you know, really fills her heart and I'm sure she'll do great things. She's a beautiful girl and she's tall, so I think she said. Um, and last but not least, y'all, just in case you're someone who, you know, wanted to know or qualifies to get one, um, the Senate finally passed the COVID relief bill. So y'all already know those extra round of stimmies should be on the way any day now. Um, all jokes aside, I know some people are really in need. So, you know, that's good news for the community of people who will qualify. Um, I take any free money the government wants to give me. So, all right. So we're going to move on into our new segment before we wrap up the whole episode. So our culture class for inspired by clubhouse culture class <laughs> is going to be led by Megan right now. So go ahead and Megan, give us our little crash course. All right, y'all. So we all black up in here, but I have an eclectic taste. I do watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette every season, no matter what. So right now, um, we're going to focus on just what's kind of been going on with the franchise and 
Um, one of the previous contestants from The Bachelor, her name is Taylor Nolan, has recently come under some fire, y'all. She's typically a um, huge advocate just for racial equality, um, not just, you know, on TV, but in the real world as well. Um, and because she was on the show, she's really been kind of adamant about, you know, holding people accountable, um, having more inclusion, getting the host, Chris Harrison, fired for his uh, comments defending racism recently and so she's you know she's really focused on like equality and everything like that um but recently some of her old tweets surfaced and um if there's any type of ism that you can be she pretty much portrayed it in her tweets um i think she had some disparaging remarks against indians asians um clients of hers she's a mental health counselor um I think there was like slut shaming, fat shaming. I mean, if you name it, she did it in her previous tweets. They were from 2011 and 2012. Um, and she spoke out and said that she intentionally left them up because she wanted to show others how you can grow and how you can evolve from um, very negative thinking about other people. And so essentially, you guys, the lesson for this culture class is, you know, um, always remember to check your own implicit bias. A lot of people don't realize that even as a as a person of color, I'm not just going to say black, um, even as a person of color, so whether you're Hispanic or you're mixed or whatever, you can have bias against your own community or against other communities um, that are also marginalized. And um, that's kind of a lesson that she's going through right now. Um, a lot of people are trying to kind of erase the work that she has done. And if you are someone who like is passionate about advocacy and fighting for racial equality, I would encourage you to go through your past and look at some of the things that you said and not necessarily delete it. But um, if you truly want it to be a teaching moment, you know, call it out on your own and say, hey, look at what I thought back in 20 whatever and look at how I am now. And that's our class for today, you guys. If any of our listeners um, are as passionate about The Bachelor as I am, find me on Clubhouse because I'll be in them rooms, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we are not using this platform for no Clubhouse shout outs. Okay. <laughs> I know you are monetized. I ain't famous. I know, I know you run with the cool crew on there. I do be in them rooms. I'll be in them bachelor rooms. Megan Let be me with just the cool moderators, y'all. And I'll be on stage. So if y'all want to talk okay. about it, we're gonna move on. Well, hold on before we head out. I just want to say thank you so much to our special guest, Victor. You did an amazing job. Um, excited yes, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you for having me. This was thank fun. Thank you so much. We appreciate yes. it. So y'all, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts for immediate alerts every time new episodes air. We also invite you to follow us on social media. We are on YouTube, IG, Facebook, and Twitter at NYABGpod. And we have a website, and that is NYABGpodcast.com. So thanks for listening, and we will see y'all next time. Well, no, we will. Speak to y'all next time. Because <laughs> y'all can't see it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.